0: Welcome to the TES Further Education Podcast. This week we'll be talking technology with Paul McKean of Bolton College and Tom Bennett, teacher, writer, blogger, and TES regular. David Hughes will be telling us about the Education and Training Foundation. Finally, I'll be asking the good people of Twitter for advice. Welcome to episode two of the TES FE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. Hopefully, by now, colleges will be buzzing with students. Everyone will know where they're supposed to be and at what time, and I didn't know what room I was supposed to be in and that's why I'm 45 minutes late to class won't cut it as a valid excuse, especially for lecturers. Right, let's get on with it. Are you nervy about using technology in the pursuit of teaching and learning? Do you feel you should be taking better advantage of all those lovely digital resources which might help to get students more excited about the course? Paul McKean is Learning, Resources and ILT Development Manager at Bolton College. He's been in FE for 14 years as a practitioner, leader and manager, and he's got some great advice on making meaningful use of digital technology in the classroom. So I'm a beginner to using digital technology to enhance teaching and learning. How would you suggest I start with that?
1: Well, I think the first thing to do as a practitioner is to understand what you're trying to deliver because uh, the whole point of using technology is to enhance a session to make it more engaging uh, to make it more vibrant for the learner and to, to add value so and uh, certainly if you're a grade one tutor who delivers an excellent session every week then I would say well just look at what you feel needs changing when you evaluate to, to keep up to that standard if you may recognize that maybe your assessment techniques are simply question and answer all the time and that actually when you're asking that question 18 learners out of 20 are not engaged because there's one or two that are answering all the questions. So utilising technology can take all of them learners through at a similar pace or at their own pace because they can answer questions electronically there are a number of technologies out there that will engage everybody all the time as opposed to a traditional method which may only engage the one person you're having that interaction with however from my point of view it's whatever does does the job i mean i've observed a number of sessions uh, not long ago where learners have have used a um, a wipe board with a a, a marker pen, mm. and all 20 learners have made a response at the same time. Now, to me, that was a far better engagement activity than something that uses technology, where only one learner is engaging in that answer at that point in time.
0: Do you think there should be a push for FE teachers to increase their own digital literacy?
1: So, for example, a, a practitioner should be absolutely now, and, and from a vocational perspective, looking at employability as an outcome of all of the learners that come into our care. So we should really be training and educating our learners on the impact that their use of media, so that be social media or other, on their digital footprint, as it's now phrased, digital tattoo, a permanent record of their life online. And if the practitioner doesn't understand the impact that somebody posting something on uh, Facebook might now have or Twitter or whatever, that actually may stop somebody getting a job in the future. So as practitioners, it's a part of our role to be digitally literate enough to understand and be able to educate people in that way. So it's not necessarily about... Uh, teaching them just vocational skills, it becomes the pastoral care side that we should be showing people how to act professionally, how to communicate and so on and obviously there are now a lot more ways than dressing smartly for an interview there's actually how you um, act and appear on digital platforms as well as in real life. Uh, We have a project currently running at at Bolton College at the moment where we're looking to embed digital literacies within our uh, curriculum And one of the things one of the practitioners is doing is encouraging learners to uh, create a LinkedIn profile, so another social media tool, um, which is about professionalism and networking. And uh, learners are now being endorsed by their tutors, by customers, by friends uh, in particular aspects of their lives, and that's creating a digital, a positive digital footprint. So in a few years' time, when a uh, future employer googles them, they've got their Just Giving site, they've got their endorsement for for being a great volunteer from having excellent communication skills, to being good at a particular aspect of work.
0: What's the most exciting use of digital technology and learning that, that's emerged recently?
1: The, most, the thing that excites me the most, I suppose, about the way in which I'm seeing technology being uh, adopted and utilised, has to be in schools. And I think it's something that the, the FE sector can definitely take from, and it's the Digital Leaders Project and digital leaders are effectively um, learners of all ages and they're at primary as well as secondary school who teach the teachers how to use the technology. So that's uh, uh, taking advantage of the digital literacy skills and the, and the, and the IT competence, if you like, of the, uh, the learners that, uh, that you're teaching. So even if you're not using it, see if there is a way technology can enhance your session. If there isn't, fantastic. If there is try and adopt, try and change, try and get some support. If it's not from a, uh, from a peer, from an, a colleague, ask a learner. See what they think. Ask them how they can improve the session. It's the learner voice, and it can really make a difference.
0: Now, though there's a lot of measured, helpful advice on the value of IT in teaching and learning, there's also a lot of flimflam that does the rounds too. So I put some of this tech flimflamery to the TES's Tom Bennett. Teacher, writer, and author of Teacher Proof, a book in which he challenges Edu Tripe by exploring dodgy research. My teaching room for the year has limited IT resources. Does my lack of technology in the classroom mean that my teaching won't be good enough?
2: Absolutely not. I'd like to invite people to try and think what what colleges were like, say, 25 years ago. I mean, even the best of colleges had very, very little IT, and certainly even good colleges ten years ago were still struggling to you know, install IT mm-hmm. throughout throughout the rooms and lecture theatres and so on. It wasn't until just a few years ago that it even became an issue at all. I mean, mm-hmm. up until say 2005, nobody was seriously taught with high levels of IT. So mm-hmm. for the first how many thousands of years of humanity's civilization's existence. This wasn't something which we used. And we shouldn't get by just fine. So the idea that you need IT, you the know, to be teaching properly is absolutely ridiculous. And I find it quite concerning that people should threaten and worry about this. So I think that's a completely rubbish idea.
0: OK, brace yourself for this one. My students mm-hmm. are digital natives. I thought Ken Robinson's TED <laughs> Talk said that I should future-proof my 21st century learners for jobs that are not been invented yet.
2: There's, <laughs> there is so much <laughs> jargon in that that I, I don't even know where to begin. But to start, this idea of digital natives is also a, a, a modern nonsense. The vast majority of, of young people at colleges aren't digital natives. They're digital, I guess you'd call them digital inhabitants, or even digital tourists, which is to say that, yes, they're very, very proficient at being end-users, but they're not experts at it because most of them haven't spent the time and the effort which is necessary to become expert at it. Every college will have some students who are are really good at using technology. The vast majority of them aren't. The vast majority of them are just as dumb as the rest of us. So they're not digital natives. They're not 21st century learners. People learn in exactly the same way as they always have done. Our brains haven't changed. The idea that there are special magic thinking skills that they need for the the new century, and it's not new century anymore. We're 15 years in. The idea that there's some new skills they might need to learn, it's possibly true in the terms of I think it's useful for people now to be able to do more things like perhaps not even coding because let's face it not everyone has, needs to learn to code but proficiency with technology and so on. But by and large those types of skills are learned at home. I'm not the huge fan of Ken Robinson. I think he's a lovely guy. I think his heart's the right place. I think he's a very good stand-up. But I think in terms of what he's got to add to the contemporary debate in pedagogy it's very, very little.
0: Right. There's this cult of Ken.
2: But, you know, I don't begrudge him. I mean, He's an articulate man, he's an intelligent man, he cares passionately about about education. I just think he's wrong, that's all.
0: The research tells me that more and better learning will happen if it's technology-based.
2: Yeah, there's no substantive research which which, which proves this. Um, The problem is that a lot of the research which you see about digital technology-enhancing learning tends to come from digital providers, which doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong, but it automatically sends alarm signals up. And in my own research, research for my own book about this kind of thing, I found that the vast majority of research which claimed that digital learning enhanced learning was not only from digital providers, but was itself of extremely ropey methodology. And it was usually very, very anecdotal, very, very small samples. And it was usually using performance indicators which were themselves so vastly subjective that essentially the, the, the cognitive bias of the people involved in the research was, well, to me, pretty evident. And also something which I find quite dispiriting is a lot of the times when you read a website and it's encouraging the use of digital learning, you find that the evidence it uses to support that will be referenced in, wait for it, another digital learning website. In fact, sometimes some of the people even reference their own papers as evidence that what they're saying presently is true. The, the evidence for digital learning—it just isn't there yet. So
0: when we hear this about research, yeah. we should be saying what research? We should be asking Absolutely. more questions it? as
2: teachers. Absolutely, it's largely a con at this point, and I don't—I don't think people are necessarily doing it deliberately. But one can only ask the question: Who's doing this and who benefits? IT's got a place. IT's a tool. IT's a strategy. Like any tool, it's got its use. The the the, the people in colleges who love using IT tend to be. What I call digital zealots. They love IT. They, they they've got they've got two screen computers and they've got their iPad hooked up to their iPhone and their iPhone hooked up to their internal memory chip and God knows what else. And they love it and they love using it and that's fabulous. And if you're comfortable with it and you're happy with it and you like using it in your classroom, then that's fabulous. Do so. You know, if if it works for you, use it. But don't try and get other people to adopt it. It's just a strategy and it doesn't work for everyone and it doesn't work in any classroom.
0: Now, let's talk about the FE sector's all new self improvement body. I think it would be fair to say it's been a difficult birth for the Education and Training Foundation. Most recently, there was a hoo ha regarding the way in which some senior people in the organisation were recruited. There was also some grumpiness about the name not containing the word skills. Personally, I was quite keen on its first title, The Guild. I'm a fan of any professional body which makes me think members have to pop on a leather apron or possibly even a cloak in order to convene. Then there was that secret meeting at Windsor Castle. A lot of people were miffed about this. Why there's even interest in an event shrouded in mystery where a clutch of incognito power players gather in the same lofty chambers where Tudor funster Henry VIII feasted and frolicked, I don't know. While no one is suggesting the great and the good should be plotting the future of our sector sat round someone's front room with a bargain bucket and a blue nun, it might be a bit insensitive to either Queen's gaff when a number of people are having a difficult time in the sector. Anyway, let's put all of that down to experience. Stop moaning on about those initial blunders and move on. What is this thing, the Education and Training Foundation? What's it all about? How's it going to support sector improvement and how will it impact practitioners? David Hughes, Chief Executive of the National Institute of Adult Continuing Education and Interim Chair of the Board of the Education and Training Foundation, explains. Could you start with just explaining what your role is within the Education Training Foundation?
3: Um, I've been involved for the last... 12 months as we've tried to establish this new organisation. And my role really was to try and bring everybody together to reach as much agreement and consensus as we could in order to set this new body up and then hand it over to a new chair and chief exec. Um, So I'm in that kind of torn position of I'm really keen to hand it on because I want some fresh blood and energy to come into it. But I'm also bit upset really because um, I'm quite enjoying being involved in it and I think it's really important.
0: Could you explain to us what the Education and Training Foundation is, what its plans are and what its main function is going to be?
3: Yeah, I mean it, it really boils down to one very simple ambition really, which is to make sure that the teaching and learning that happens in further education and skills is as good as it possibly can be. Our job, really, as we see it, is to help teachers, tutors, trainers, lecturers, call them what you like, to deliver just fantastic, high-quality teaching and learning, and to support that with brilliant management and leadership, and to make sure that the government arrangements in the sector are first class. How
0: are we going to reach the students and reach the, the teachers?
3: The simple um, reality is this is a small organisation. We will have, in the region of 30 staff, we'll be spending around about 15 to 20 million a year, which at one level seems like a lot of money, but actually isn't an enormous amount spread across a workforce of something like 200,000 at least within the sector. So what we have to do is to be really, really targeted in the way we spend money on things that will make a difference and where it has to be done or can be done best by a national body bringing it all together. But let's just take an example. There is a new program called traineeships that, that's being introduced and mm. um, there will be teaching staff up and down the country struggling to think how you deliver a traineeship to the highest possible quality at the very least i think the foundation can play a role in spreading good practice i think it can do some research and dissemination of what is working what does work what might work it can start to think about some of the pedagogy around that it can Think about how you manage relationships with employers and start spreading some ideas around that. So it won't necessarily deliver to every single teacher, tutor, lecturer but it should be able to add some value to what's already going on. Right. And therefore part of the role is about dissemination and bringing people together and making sure that um, we can all learn from the best um, on any particular issue.
0: Sort of formalising, sharing of good practice across all of the sector.
3: Yeah, definitely. And Because if you're delivering a a traineeship or an apprenticeship or English and maths or functional skills, you know, in a college or in a training provider or in a local authority or a third sector organisation, Actually, the issues are pretty much the same, aren't they? Mm -hmm. The context might be different and the institutional ethos might be different. But really, the learners that you're working with and the learning you're trying to help happen, make happen, is very similar. And therefore, there is a lot to be learned from each other, I think.
0: Is this the first time, time that all areas of the sector have been united in such a way that it can impact the practitioners?
3: Well, I suppose I, I think that's what we've tried to achieve. And so far, I've been quite heartened by how people have come together. We seem to have been able to bring together a whole range of organisations who perhaps in the past haven't been natural bedfellows. So we have got some of the trade, well, all of the trade organisations like the Association of Colleges and the Association of Employment and Learning Providers, plus a whole group of other more specialist ones around Natspec, for instance, which works with learners with learning difficulties and disabilities. We've also brought along the unions, who represent um, all sorts of staff across the sector, teaching staff, support staff, leaders, managers, chief execs. We've brought along the Governor's Council, we've brought along the Institute for Learning, NIACE is there, you know, with me and and others. So we've we've brought together that group of people and we've got all of them looking in the same direction, trying to achieve the same thing so far. And I don't think that's happened much in the past. Yeah.
0: This all sounds brilliant. When does it start? When will we see it?
3: That's probably the toughest thing, really. We weren't given the go-ahead in terms of funding until towards the end of April, and therefore, we've basically had you know, May, June, July, and August to kind of get this thing up and running. That's meant that you know, we haven't been able to start spending that money and getting things on the ground in the way that you'd like. So things will start to come out over the next probably two months, I think. And we're in that balance between wanting things to happen quickly and wanting things to be you know, as good as they possibly can be, and we're trying to get the balance right.
0: Finally, how is this going to enhance the reputation of the sector?
3: Um, actually, if you look at local level, the reputation of um, colleges and other providers is, is actually pretty high. I think it's only when you get to the national picture that things start to um, look less positive. So I think we the consensus and agreement and unity that we've built up so far will really help with that. What we need is a single voice where we can and should have a single voice about uh, the training of teachers. Um, the standards that we expect, the quality of delivery, um, making sure that leadership and management is fantastic. Some really big issues around governance, making sure that governance of the sector includes others who might set, be saying negative things about the sector. So if we've got employers saying we don't think the sector delivers what we need, well let's bring them in, make them part of the governance so that they're part of the solution.
0: Thanks very much David now it's time to ask twitter last week i threw a question out to the fe twitter arty the question was what's your best piece of advice to those new to fe and they didn't disappoint lots of brilliant advice from those gorgeous fe tweeters came flooding in here are some of the best ones paul cliff said if you loved the sector you came from make sure you pass on that passion to your learners Jacob Gill said be bold, be brave, if it works great, if it doesn't work try something different, life's about experimenting. Neem Sweeney says have high expectations and the students will achieve above and beyond. Jim Crawley says don't panic, find an experienced teacher who will give you support and trust your subject expertise. Katrina Perry says allow your learners to have independence within boundaries. Jane Stigger says, be adaptable, don't take it personally, learn from others including learners. New challenges will grow you, not spoil you and make the most of it. Claire Fenix says, I know this is singing to the choir but remember to use Twitter for help. Extend your staff room. Thanks to all those contributors, we very much appreciate it and keep your eyes peeled on Twitter for the next question. That's about it from the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. Thanks very much to all my guests and we'll be back again on the 4th of October with Podcast 3. Thanks for listening.